I remember a specific moment. I have a photograph of holding my baby cousin when I was 10 and she was a newborn. She was about the age of my baby now. And I looked down at her and I just fell in love and knew since 10 years old that I wanted to be a mom. Veneers is a podcast about layers, hosted and created by Katy Perry and Alice Anderson. Each episode, we explore the layers of narrative that form everyday experiences and shape the people around us. Hi, Elsie. Are you feeling hungry? Here, let's see. You're holding onto my sweater, which is blocking your way. Here you go. Here you go. There. I am Tisha Huffnagel. I'm 42 years old, and I am the proud mama of Elsie, who is three and a half months. At about 20, I really felt like I was ready to be a mom and spent several years sowing my wild oats. But even after I found the right partner, um, even when I was really the person that I felt like I wanted to be to mother someone, my body wouldn't let me. It took about five years of really intense work in healing my emotional self, strengthening my spiritual self, and then it took surgery. And uh, five months later, I was pregnant. I just couldn't believe it. I was at home and I was getting ready to take a shower and my boobs just looked different and they felt really warm. And I was like, hmm, that's weird. And like in the back of my mind, I was like, am I pregnant? And I just um, never the minded it. The guy that I'm like, currently still with and dating, I'd been with him and for like about three months when I found out I was pregnant. So <laughs> there was a lot of scary feelings going on there. So I was like smiling and swearing a lot. <laughs> took a fair bit of time before I would really start to acknowledge that there was a life growing in me because there were so many years of trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant. Every month, disappointed again. Every month, frustrated with myself again. And at the same time as feeling that pain and frustration, trying to be accepting that maybe we're not meant to be parents biologically. I was just like in the getting things taken care of kind of mood. And then I was like, okay, so on Monday, I'm going to go to the nurse and like see maybe because my period was supposed to come on the 7th. But I was just like, whatever, and I forgot about it that entire week. I didn't attach myself at first to the pregnancy, and it took a while. And then it sort of transformed slowly into... She was like, oh, so there's no way that you're pregnant? And then it was this mantra in my head, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. And it was just playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the back of my mind, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. It was the background music to anything that was going on in my life. She picked up the little stick thing and she didn't say anything and I was like oh my god I'm pregnant. My name is Elisa May Towers. I go by my middle name May. I've never been like you I never need to just go out in the world and reproduce and babies like, babies babies. I don't so. know that day I knew it would be fine. When our baby first started like, moving, I remember specifically sometimes this happens, the words that came out of my mouth were, like, I'm going to have what? a baby, like, something which somehow seems so different my than being pregnant. This right is now, a human life actually, that's growing inside like, of me, and just, I really like, started to feel that. I wanted it out of me immediately. As far as like abortions and everything, like I always just thought like it depends on the women and the whole situation, but I always knew it was an option. And so that was also something that was really scary. Like I could 
go down that route. And I kind of do like living my life right now, but at the same time, I'm 29 years old. I feel like I almost have my shit together enough. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I could do this. Like, I could really just raise this kid. I'm 17 weeks along now, and very excited about it. I made the decision to like terminate the pregnancy, but I also did nothing about it for three and a half weeks. Um, I knew exactly how far along I was, and so I knew I had time. And it wasn't like at all because I was like rethinking my decision. I just did not pick up the phone and call. And I think that did a lot of good because, of course, this is going to be something that I think about forever, but I didn't want it to be like an emotional problem for me forever. And so I had time to feel pregnant and to like go through a range of feelings about it, like to be angry or to be sad or to be happy about it. The first trimester was really hard. This thing is almost physically. Like I felt like I was like dragging ten mattresses right behind me. Everything I did, everything. and I was nauseous all the time. People just thought I was like hungover every day, like partying in the back in the I bathroom. I fell asleep or on the toilet at work. <laughs> so, and I was only going pee. I, mean, I was I wasn't, on wasn't the down low because I know, you know like you're I'm not saying? really supposed to tell people until like you're officially. Also, in, in those three weeks that I wasn't dealing with it, I was hoping to miss. But at the same time, like if I end up having a miscarriage I would want people to know why I'm I so felt like upset that would be an easier thing for me to be able to digest the more comfortable I got telling people that I was pregnant that fear started going away because it started snowballing into like more excitement coming my way mm -hmm. and so it did just kind of quiet down all those negative thoughts I had of all these expectations of me and what are people going to think and how am I going to do this? It took a really long time after she was born to transition to this is my baby. This is our baby. I grew those fingernails. That heart grew inside of me. My mom just recently found some pictures of when I was a newborn and seeing the similarities, that hits a really core part of validating that this is a person that I created that holds my DNA and she holds my mom's DNA. When I see photos of my mom holding me as an infant, and I look at her hands holding my body, and then I look at a picture of me holding Elsie, and I look at my hands holding her body, they're the same hands, and Elsie has our hands. And you think about what our hands do and how we, as women, care for one another, hold one another, wipe away tears, comfort, feed. Those little hands are going to do that too. I'm Martha Anderson. I'm a native Oregonian who has worked as an editor for the Legislative Assembly for 27 years. I'm the mother of two daughters. I wish I could say I enjoy gardening half as well and reading and is. being outdoors. I love traveling either uh, vicariously in an armchair or actually out with she boots on the ground. has a great laugh. I'm a genetic smartass. And Some more people of an think understated I'm funny. sense of humor, I think, than I have. I think I'm just, like, you think stupid you're funny? about my humor. I can be rather funny. <laughs> I amuse myself greatly. It's been really <laughs> wonderful to be able to talk to the women in our families.
to have the opportunity to just let them talk. Um, my mom was Gwendolyn Jean Raper Stillwell. She was the second daughter of Starling Avery Raper and Bessie Lee Connor Raper. My name is Marjorie Bennett, but I never really liked the, the name Marjorie. So I became Marge. I just cut off the last four letters. I like that fine. Several sets of my, my mother's name was Leona Mary Edwards. Her mother was Gertrude Gabe. Her mother was Paulina, and I think that's it for my mother's family. My mom did well in high school, not only because of her intellect, but because she had a strong mentor. He my mother, may have been the whose mother died when she was 16. She lived next door to, to her grandmother, and, and uh, her grandmother was, according to obituary, a very loving, devoted mother. And I'm sure she was a loving, devoted grandmother, too. And my mom has grown so much from the point of being a mother to being a grandmother. And pretty much had it feels like such a gift children. to watch her grow and to see my mother and my and daughter establish she a relationship. She graduated with her younger sister. Higher education was not something that had happened in her family. And then she went and to what was, was called a story of a tremendous and fight she in went into my grandmother's and kitchen in the that ended with my mom saying she was either going to go to College Sometimes or she taught boys that were bigger than she was. And I think and she won the tough. argument with that. She had to be really Mama firm with them. They were struggling. History, and she and graduated from Bria in 1953. What's this young girl doing here teaching us, you know? Mom but she knew more than they did. And evidently was able to handle it. And she did that probably two or three years. And, she studied political science and, and during that time was when she met my daddy. I learned that mother actually was pregnant when she married daddy. And I'm sure that did not sit well with Granny Trapier at all. So she was extremely was religious. Her friend from Berea College let mom know about a teaching job at the junior high in Prineville, Oregon. She did say my that she just wished that my mother, Leona, and Aunt Ruth could be put in a bag and shaken up together because Aunt Ruth had no babies and my mother had 10. <laughs> oh, she loved children and she my loved dad, grandchildren. My dad, who was a woodshop teacher at the high school, would talk to the school principal to find out about Virginia, the young single teachers that had just been hired. She was highly and respected they got married the just a few months after they and met. In church circles. She worked and over then she taught for five years. Hospital in she finished Virginia. the school she was a woman year of some in influence. 1960, flew home to mom. visit her parents in Tennessee, got off the plane, and her older sister, Barb, looked at her and said, Girl, you're pregnant. Sure enough, they were going to be parents. Like, all of a sudden, I just had to be this person I wasn't, in a way. I did go out and drink quite a bit, playing pool and stuff like that, and I was also a smoker. And so that was kind of hard. And I still have moments where I like struggle with it, especially in the beginning, because you're like, I am like having this panic attack and I'm stressed out because I'm pregnant and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, I want to have this women's cigarettes and I'm not supposed to. And so we all have these inner revolutions going on all the time and processing completely. where we are in life and this breakup and this career it's really development. It's really lit and, a know, fire really, like, on my butt searching. as far as what I want to be doing with my life. It's like, man, you you got to get your shit together. <laughs> this has got to happen right now. And the right first now. time that we met, and my really good friend had a baby, she said, I'm not having an inner revolution right now. It wasn't about her So anymore. that's really motivating for me to be like, okay, I'm no longer 
just making decisions for myself. Now, every time I think about something, it's how is this little person depending on me going to be affected by it? A big transition for me is I've never been a person that sits down during the day. I would get up in the morning and just go. And now I spend a lot of time sitting because I'm a nursing mom and the pace of life with a newborn is very slow. I'm also it's a person really that doesn't like to just sort of to sit like say no to work or to have like limitations on what I can do. Usually if someone tells me I can't do something, I'm like, I'm gonna do I'm it slow, and I'm gonna like do it like right now. <laughs> it's gonna happen. So for me to be able to be like, no, I need to step down. Some days I really miss I the person like that I was. A lot of my myself. confidence came from the identity that I carried before and being well-recognized and well-respected because of the work that I do. And there's a little bit of grief about that me that I was, but it's far overshadowed by the me that I am. I've waited my whole life for this. In high school, she played the harp in the orchestra. Growing up, her harp stood in the living room all the time we were growing up. It didn't have all of its strings. I never saw her play it, but it was there, and it was... Source of some pride. Uh, sweet Mothers have multiple great. lives and multiple selves. Thinking about my mom as a young mom, all the things that I was witness to as my mother's daughter, and not able to comprehend what she was experiencing mom as a woman. Didn't want us walking to and from and school, and that was what motivated her to finally get her driver's license. And so, usually on Sunday, we were trapped in the back seat of the car while dad was teaching mom to drive. It was miserable, and we drove all over central Oregon. My mom got brave enough to take her driver's test and get her driver's license at age 37, and that was quite the It's milestone. interesting to think about what choices you make as a mother and how complicated those choices are and how you're never going to know mom what the for implications years, of those You know, are. kept house and cooked. And that was a good thing because my father had some serious health issues when we were growing up and she needed to, to nurse to him as well. Now, in retrospect, about raising two daughters, working full time and making our family function. Shortly after they got married, I just don't my dad and my mom for $500 purchased a rather large corner lot. When you really so start to think about motherhood or being a woman, it's just a mountain of logistics to, building to navigate. And I'm just, so you know, I always in awe of how the women clean who make society and function and within that in the house because she pounded her share of the nails. That's how she put it. I've always been really independent and stubborn and I've worked all of my life to be like this. And anyone that knows me would say that I'm very like intimidating, strong woman. And one thing that just was like an instant switch was that I'm like, I'm gonna ask for help and that's gonna be okay. It's like everything I've worked for just like completely vanished. <laughs> and like I'm like backtracking to be like, okay, like it's okay to ask for help, but at the same time, it makes me feel like really awesome because people want to help, you know, or they wouldn't be offering. I was afraid to go to my initial appointment alone because you have the ultrasound and they ask you if you want to have a medication abortion or like a vacuum suction. The vacuum suction would have been 
what I was afraid of. Like the disconnection, the like intrusiveness, just having someone do weird things to me, then all of a sudden this is good. The rest of my pregnancy was absolute bliss. I had beautiful energy, I was doing yoga, I felt really strong. While she was growing inside me, I just felt so much more confident and willing to show off the fact that I was pregnant. That was so beautiful. I was I felt really important. I thought to my me. mom was the this most is my body, beautiful woman. Like before I was pregnant, as her and daughter, I've she was sort of dis- the standard of beauty by which all other women were measured. But and I, I didn't I have that negative <laughs> because that would impact her if she was growing. I take a, a pill in the office that prevents the pregnancy from progressing. Then six to seventy-two hours later, I insert four other pills into my vagina, and that starts a like expulsion. And that was the first part of my labor was, was very calm, and serene. So I wasn't really afraid of that. Part. I needed to have pitocin. I was. Which I was afraid drug of that pain. They I give was. you to it's induce your labor, and that's weirdly enough, when everything changed, labor by fine. itself was. These waves, it would start really calm and you could feel it coming and breathe through as it came back down and plateaued. With Pitocin, it was like getting slammed down by a wave. Totally unpredictable. No way to keep the rhythm. But it was so intense. And I was just like holding on to a heating pad. When she finally came out, I tore and... That was the biggest part of my physical recovery afterwards. I was tired. Of Everything was that they told like me was like, you're going to really have intense big pieces of work. tissue like pass out of you. And it was weird in that sense because they weren't really I telling couldn't go to the bathroom for two weeks. these things are. That's the down and dirty like, part oh, of it that tissue. nobody talks Nothing about. It's like having a bowel movement and having a tear was the most excruciating and terrifying part of the entire experience. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible, and it took over my life. A lot lot of things they don't warn you about is happening right now. And I'm like, I want to find that book. Uh, Because they give you, like, a basic book of all the things that could happen with the baby and what they test for, but isn't what's going on with my body. I'm 16 weeks right now. I've been to a couple of the prenatal visits. I was just in last week, and I was able to hear the baby kick for the first time, and that was super exciting. I'm, like, just starting to get, like, a noticeable bump. I woke up this morning, and I just put my hand on my belly, and it felt like it doubled the size since yesterday. I was, like, always looking up what was supposed to be going on, like, during this phase, and what was supposed to be going on during a medical abortion, and what happens when the gestational sac passes the physical part was actually giving birth i really wanted to pass it and to be able to see no kind of preparation for that at all there is nothing you can do to prepare yourself for that experience and I went in kind of cocky, like, I know what this is about. On that Monday, no. it was really <laughs> No. And there's just no I felt way. something fall out of me. And then I went to the bathroom, and then I saw, like, this thing on Seeing the pad. how much of a life it already had was just huge. And the little guy would just, like, jump up and start flailing his arms and kicking, and then he'd float back down. 
and then she'd poke him again, and then he'd jump back up, and then he'd float back down. And he's only the he size really of a peanut, cool, but he's there, and like he's got cool little fingers and, and everything. You could see that it had, like, a nub where it would actually the next week start growing arms and the tailbone and little dots where the eyes would start to form. I was so happy that I could actually see It's that. a really good thing that labor and delivery is so hard and long because you go into that experience as one person and come out a different person. So I like, really I... had to get comfortable wrapped with it up being in so paper towels and put it in the to freezer so many people and i felt um i felt done i felt relieved and i felt like i'd gone through this in the way that i needed to go through it my mom and i have always been very close she's always been my best friend but most of our time has been more as part of the mutual admiration and society. i've been like trying to figure out how or if I was going to tell my mom, I knew that I wanted to, but, like, how do you do that? Since I got pregnant, I have needed her. And since Elsie came to be in the world, I have really needed her. She just made sure that I had food. She made sure that my bath was drawn, that I would take time to rest. There and are I many did. other women and that took care of me during that time, but there wasn't was anyone like, who anticipated my needs in the same way that my I'm mom did, which like, really helped me to remember how it. well she knows yeah. me. She was, of course, like, shocked, but that made me feel like I took a huge weight off of my shoulders because it was like, she's obviously had children before, and it's like, I can actually talk to someone about being pregnant. My grandmother, she was... M- mostly immobilized and so I went up and stayed with her shortly after graduating college and had the chance to caretake for her to cook her meals and help her shower and just like really look after her and got to just have one-on-one conversations with my grandma which you don't always get that chance and it was really sweet to be able to spend everyday time with her and talk about whatever was on our minds together. My mom recently said to me, like, you don't need to rush home, but if you have something you want to make sure to say to your grandma or to ask her, you should do that. My mom's death was a long process. Um, I spent 10 days up keeping vigil by my mom's bedside, and she was on a high level of oxygen and expected to pass. Yeah, when she died, that was was probably one of the hardest days. Um... Daddy was already gone, but it was made less hard, I think, because I had a new baby coming. Becky was due in February, and he died in January. There's something sacred that happens in those moments at the end of someone's life. That is the very same thing, just opposite, that happens when you're present for someone's birth. Miscarriages are called spontaneous abortions. It is essentially the same thing. Your body is going through the same thing as if you had had a miscarriage. Your body is going through the same thing as if you had actually had a baby. Like, it was preparing for all of this, and then all of a sudden it's gone, and then what does it do? I can tell anyone that I had a miscarriage, and they'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. That must have been so hard for you. Like, you just get to openly, like, 
deal with this. But with an abortion, it's like, because I chose that this wasn't the right time for this to happen, I can't talk about it in the same way. Just because I just, like, choose to do this doesn't mean that I'm not going to grieve a loss. So the last bit with mom, I, you know, told her that we'd all be okay without her, that we're a smart group of people, that we'd still do stupid things. I think she felt pretty connected to everyone. And then um, we left that night to go to our motel room, and uh, she passed about 3 in the morning. You need a friend or a family member with you when that happens, and I had one. My mother died. It was spring, and I got a telegram saying something like, we, we grieve with you and your loss. And I knew it was my mother. I just, I just knew it was my mother, and I just I knew I'd lost her. I guess I just felt kind of bereft for a while. I just, yeah, I, I couldn't talk about it. I went out, and I just started pruning like crazy. I don't know what I did to those shrubs, but I, I pruned them. That was the end of it. I like After that, I went to an appointment, and I got my birth control implant, and I felt like a new woman. Like That was a situation that required like serious reflection and like serious like, personal work. Um, yeah, I just felt revived in a way. This is really weird to say, but I feel like I, like, realized, like, hey, you're alive. And I think that was in thinking about the ways that my life could change if I had a child. I was so grateful that on the plane, when we left the last time to go overseas, I had written her a long letter, and it just tried to express some, some of my gratitude, and I thought later, I, I'm so glad I did that. Um, when she died, one of my high school friends sent me a note. It just made me cry, and I'm crying now. It, I didn't realize this, but several of my friends who were avid readers and went to the library a lot became great friends with my mom. And when my high school friend wrote, I really loved your mother, I realized um, that she'd been an influence on other people. She was, she was just plain, you know? It wasn't that she was anything fancy, she wasn't. But it's just when she got something on her mind that needed to be done, she didn't say that much about it. She just talked to the right people. And things happened, you know? Let's say you'd be in a crowd of people. You wouldn't notice my mother especially. But as one lady said, she was the driving force. I think it was not so much the force of her personality, but the force of her character. I think that's right. I like to think that I have at least some of that. I hope I do. Sometimes we forgot, as she aged, that Granny was a badass. But Granny was a badass. Right after I graduated from high school, I was hired at the county library to run the summer reading program and to shelve books. And... You know, Mom was still firing on all cylinders during those three summers, so we could talk about politics and life and philosophy and books. And so I guess those are my precious memories just because we had a really good relationship. The Gwen you knew as your granny was a very generous yet crazy person. But um, I want you to know that she had a tremendous intellect that kind of went to waste in Prineville, Oregon. I 
my relationship with my mother has, especially like as I was like in my adolescence, got kind of rocky. And still to this day, it has its up and downs for the most part. And whenever I would always hear the word mom, it was almost like a knee-jerk reaction for me. And so now for other people to be calling me mom already, it's really just kind of opened my eyes to the meaning of it. And it's also has me thinking about how I want to find a common ground with my mother. But at the same time, I'm already prepared to be like, if you're just going to be poison in my life, then it's not going to happen. She is very intuitive. She's very empathic. And she's really strong. I think more than I can understand. When you're a teenager, it's easy to see the ways your parents are screwing up or to see the ways your parents are screwed up. But coming to see that given everything she's seen and done and been, um, she's actually immensely resilient and so wise and um, strong in this enduring way. I'm curious about what you want Elsie to know about you as a woman. I want her to know that I have learned so much in my life that the way to approach any situation is to approach it with love and an open heart and an open mind. And there's also a time to be fierce. And you can be both of those things at the same time. You can be an extraordinarily loving person and you can be very fierce. And I have learned to be both ends of the spectrum. I had a lot of pain in my life. And I haven't, I don't hold all of that in my body anymore. And that's a beautiful gift as a woman. I have dealt with my own shit. And I feel like on some levels, because of the work that I've had to do, especially for the five years and trying to conceive her, I feel like I've healed the pain of generations before me. I'm 100% certain that my daughter does not have the trauma in her DNA that I had in mine, that my mom had in hers, that my grandmother had in hers. I want her to know that I'm proud that I did that work on her behalf. And it was really hard. I want her to know that I love her so much that I did it for her before I even knew that she was coming. I love you. I love you. Thanks to Candace, May, Tisha, Martha, and Marge for their stories and insights and to the many women who support and inspire us. Special thanks to Pat Keen for helping mix and master this episode. 